Welcome to episode 129. Today, Chris Degacia talks about supporting newcomers. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. I would like you to imagine my mother at age 38. That's how old she was when she came to the U.S. after fleeing Vietnam. She attended free evening classes at a local church after hours of work. What kind of English did she need during those classes? Sure, she will not need the academic English that I am teaching students right now. However, as head of the family, she still needed a certain set of language skills to make decisions for her family. In this conversation, Chris will add a new perspective to the conversation around supporting older newcomers, one that is relevant to the demands placed on them by their families. Now, on to today's podcast. I'm so excited to share with you Chris DeGacia today from Off to Class. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tan. Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at Off to Class? Yeah, I'm the co-founder and CEO. I started Off to Class back in 2014 with two other collaborators. At the time, we were running an online ESL school in Turkey. And what we realized was that a lot of online English as a second language teachers were spending a lot of time making their own lesson content for video conference lessons. Back in 2014, teaching languages online was pretty new. I know that's hard to imagine in 2021, 2022. But um, so, yeah, so basically we had built all these lessons for our online school. And then we didn't want to continue with the school, but we realized we should release the lessons to other online ESL teachers. And fast forward seven years, we're now used by 6,000 ESL tutors all over the world. And we're used as a curriculum, professional development and assessment tool in over 120 districts across America. I feel like there's a seed in the story right there. You tell us about how you started this as a e, as an ESL, as you were teaching ESL in Turkey. Yeah, well, it's really just goes down to thinking of something you'd want to build for yourself. So we had built all these awesome lesson plans for our online ESL school. And when we kind of exited that venture, that is really what we were left with. We had built all this stuff for ourselves. So we just released it to a real grassroots community of online ESL tutors and went from there. And the um, the pivot like the or the expansion into districts in the United States really happened rather organically. Um, folks from different 
from different teams, a lot of teachers working in English language learner departments, they would just end up on off to class and be like, oh, I, you know, set up a free account, check out the product and be like, I love this tool. Like, can you talk to my boss and see if we can bring it into the district team? Just like Noah said, build it and they will come. Absolutely. Well, tell us, let's move to another story. Tell us about a story that has really impacted your work. Yeah, so I like to think about students and really think about things through the lens of an experience teaching. So obviously throughout the journey at Off to Class, um, myself and my co-founders have been continually teaching. Um, so back in 2018, I had relocated back to Toronto, but um, the ties to Istanbul were still present for myself and the co-founders. And um, a collaborator of ours was part of a refugee sponsorship group here in Toronto. One of the really cool things, the really unique things about the Canadian refugee um, system is that community members can get together and if they show the government that they have enough funds to to privately sponsor a refugee or their family, they're actually allowed to go through an application process and sponsor a refugee directly, just as like a community initiative. It's a uniquely Canadian thing. I'm not, I'm not even sure a lot of Canadians know about it. Um, it actually started with um, the, the crisis in the 70s with, with the Vietnamese community. That is when this kind of community um, sponsorship program started. So um, my friend Valerie, um, she, she, she's a longtime uh, publishing executive and um, has been, you know, a constant source of kind of inspiration for off the class. She um, came to me and said, hey, we're sponsoring a family of Syrian refugees. They're currently um, living as, as refugees in Istanbul and they're trying to get here. And she knew about off the class and she said, um, Mohammed, who's the father, like his English is pretty good, but Tahani basically does not speak any English. And we're really, really worried as this kind of community group that when she gets to Toronto, she's going to be completely cut off and isolated and she's going to have no ability to, to kind of interact with um, the outside world. And so, yeah, obviously I, I jumped in on that because I knew it would be a great experience. I knew there'd be a lot of positives for off to class about, you know, learning about the product, seeing it from the lens of the student. I also loved the idea that the relationship would start very much on a distance basis. And then we'd actually be in the same city eventually when she relocated. So we'd get to connect that kind of virtual relationship into a physical one. And I ended up teaching Tahani for the better part of two years and she she did not speak English. Um, I would put her at a low beginner. Um, she could use like the present simple. She could say kind of like, my name is Tahani. I am from Syria. I am from Damascus, but not so much more than that. 
today I just got an email from Tani. We haven't been working together for over two years, for about a year and a half, but she is now enrolled in a architecture program at a college here in, in Toronto and um, is studying to become an architect. So it's it's a huge success story. She's had, she, she arrived with two children who are now young adults um, and she's had two children in the time she's been in, um, in Toronto. So it's very successful. Um, and I think, you know, on today's subject, what that really taught me is a lot about the different roles and personas that newcomers play when they come to when they come to North America. And um, yeah, it was it was great to just see how language plays a key role there. Um, that it's so critically important for newcomers to be armed with language that is really relevant to the roles they're playing um, in their newfound homes. Wow, that's really an inspiring story about Tahani. I can't believe she she came here without any English, yet she had so many assets before coming here. And like, if she's if she's interested in architect now, she probably was into, interested in architect before, and she had this all this mathematical design concepts already, and now she just needed a new language to apply them. Absolutely. Like the, the, the English language for her was a conduit to um, being able to express her kind of creative and professional self. So let's talk about newcomers in general. What can they offer to their communities? Wow. So that is almost endless. Um, but I'll talk about it really from the perspective of newcomers to the United States, both from a cultural perspective and an economic and entrepreneurial perspective. So newcomers in the United States bring such a huge cultural value. Um, I'm looking right now at a breakdown of the languages spoken by U.S. immigrants in 2014. And of course, 44% of those are Spanish, but the rest of the linguistic background is so unbelievably diverse. Korean, French, Vietnamese, Filipino, Hindi, Chinese, and, and a myriad of other cultures. So just the cultural mosaic is is super, super interesting and adds so much kind of cultural strength to the United States. And a really interesting thing too is the dispersion of newcomers, the increasing dispersion of newcomers across America. So obviously, you know, your California's, Texas, New York, the traditional places, Florida, where a lot of newcomers landed and built lives for themselves. But there's been such an increasing percentage of English learners in classrooms. Um, the, the states that have actually seen the biggest jump are places like Mississippi, Kentucky, South Carolina. So you're getting such an increasingly kind of diverse cultural voice across America. And, you know, in, in kind of headline flashy kind of statistics, um, 
I'll give you everything from science and math, countless Nobel Prize winniture, Nobel Prize winners, literature and music, obviously countless prized authors um, from sports, culinary, art, culinary arts, so many other sectors of culture have been so unbelievably strengthened by newcomers to America. And from a school's perspective, um, I mean, there's so many lenses to look at, but I've got a great quote from the Department of Education. Um, in schools, the very presence of immigrant students provides a rich opportunity for all students to expand their cultural knowledge and their capacity to participate fully in a multicultural and democratic and engaged with an increasingly interconnected world. So the reality is that for, for American-born students in schools, in public schools, they're increasingly having to operate in a completely globalized society. And if they were just in their silos in school with all, you know, American-born, natively-born students from the same kind of cultural lens, cultural background, they wouldn't be getting that competitive, competitive edge of how to actually operate and compete in a globalized world. The fact that newcomers are in their classrooms or in their schools are providing such a, a kind of a real world lens to their education. Um, it's, it's so vastly important for the school system to have newcomers. And so it's, it's, it's a, um, it's a big one. From an economic perspective, I did some research for presentation a couple of weeks ago, and this, this actually surprised me myself. So the economic and all entrepreneurial contribution of newcomers in America is vast. So 28% of all new US businesses are started by newcomers, but they only represent 12.9% of the population. So business formation is huge. They are highly entrepreneurial. Um, they're high, highly mercantile and economic in, 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 in kind of leaning. Um, immigrants and that number of, of percentage of new business formation in certain states is way higher. 44.6% of businesses started in California are started by newcomers. 44% of new tech startups in Silicon Valley are founded by immigrants. Nationally, 40% of Fortune 500 companies were founded by either first or second generation immigrants. So both from a cultural and economic lens, the impact of newcomers is huge. But when you go back and you think about that entrepreneurial tendency of newcomers, that doesn't always get translated to the type of instruction that we have for them in schools because they're much more likely to start a business, but we might not always in an English language learner program um, in a district, in a school, we might not always realize that the content that we should be providing them is geared towards that entrepreneurial mindset. Wow, those statistics are so impressive. I just think, and I know that you're sharing your statistics about America, but this really is true for Canada, Europe, and Australia. I know that people are listening from, from all those three places, 
uh, regions, uh, Europe, and they have so many newcomers that join their country, and this is true for them as well. It's not just America. Like the contributions that I know that the Vietnamese diaspora is contributing to Australia, to Europe, it's huge, just like it is in Canada and America. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of the entrepreneurial mindset comes down to um, kind of that, that immigrant concept of self-reliance and um, wanting to control your own destiny and wanting to, to kind of achieve. And that's why they fit right in America. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, hugely, hu hugely successful communities in, in, in countless host countries. Let's move to talking about uh, newcomer students in middle school and high school. Can you tell us about how their goals are different than traditional than the, the traditional ELL population? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, you know, first kind of noting that the term newcomer is a bit of an umbrella term that describes a lot of different people. Um, for example, in the United States, it would it would include um, students like unaccompanied minors that aren't with their families. Um, in this case, let's focus the conversation on um, basically a newcomer being someone who's not born in the U.S., um, and is accompanied by their, their parents and family. Um, in that case, it's really, I think it's really interesting to think about the different personas that they might take on in society. So that high school student very well might play the persona of a family advocate. So they might be out and negotiating services and making decisions on behalf of their family, they might be playing the role of the breadwinner. So really thinking about that economic reality, they might already be out in the workforce or they might be about to approach the workforce. And that's another, another thing to consider is that most, most families that have traveled recently, you know, across the globe, um, a high school newcomer may be perceived in their family, in their home community, at home, they might be perceived as an adult. So they are not necessarily a child. Um, and they might be already in the workforce or about to enter the workforce. Um, they might be playing a persona as the caregiver. So they might be negotiating healthcare. On, perhaps on, on behalf of their family. And they might be a community link. They might be out building a family's community's connections. Like if you think about back to Tahani, the newcomer I worked with from Syria here in Toronto, the reason my, um, the sponsorship group really wanted her to build language skills is they knew that her husband, Mohammed would be out working, like really playing that breadwinner role. But they wanted to be sure that she felt comfortable being that community link, going out, creating connections, um, creating her own sense of community. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of different roles that might be kind of bequeathed onto the um, the the high school newcomers on on behalf of the family. So now that you talked about how they're different, their goals are different than like a traditional ELL student, 
Um, how do we match their goals to what schools can offer and support their goals? That's a great question. Um, I think it comes down to thinking about how the personas might map to our own instructional and curriculum strategy as teachers and realizing that the content we use um, for other ELL populations might not be perfectly suited here. Um, for those like you that have worked in the United States, like we all know the pressure on state assessments, on core content classes, um, you know, the language of chemistry, the language of social studies, the language of STEM, the language of math, and really kind of like focusing on core content classes. It's not to say that content class language isn't necessarily important to high school newcomers. It's just noting and honoring and realizing that there's other, there might be other more critical elements and personas than they're that they are currently playing that might that might kind of go go over some of those kind of content class strategies. So I think looking at, at lifelong English, looking at real life skills and themes, um, you know noting that kind of economic and entrepreneurial goals are often the most immediate, but cultural orientation is important. Lesson plans around workforce, job readiness, building kind of some of those skills in, you know, even other critical life skills, like focusing on, on ordinal numbers, on how to say prices in English, how to talk, you know, basic kind of like economic math in English, themes around, um, if you think about that persona, for example, around being the healthcare advocate, actually explaining how to visit a doctor, what to ask, how to use language to, to, to get comfort around um, like healthcare and those appointments. And then thinking about things like, like what we would traditionally call business English, how to build a resume, how to build a CV, how to write a thank you email, how to, you know, how to analyze a job board. A lot of those skills are really, really, really important. The other thing I would note on, and this is one of the, one of the elements that we see the most is um, age appropriateness. So a lot of district teams we work with have a lot of great curriculum and intervention strategies, but oftentimes they're really focused at a younger audience. Um, and, you know, they can be a little bit fun. They can be a little bit cartoony. They can be a bit, um, you know, playful. And just noting that your high school newcomers very well might be perceived and perceive themselves as adults and being able to to really realize that is important because you're not going to be able to drive engagement and motivation with your high school students if you're using something that's overly childish so keeping age appropriateness in mind i think is really important and then also noting that some of your, your high school newcomers might very well, similar to Tahani, 
be quite beginner proficient and realizing that those core technical language skills at the beginner and early intermediate are pretty are likely going to be pretty important so using kind of can do outcomes when you're preparing your interventions and your and your curriculum you know students can use um, the verb to be with their name and where I'm from, focusing on what you're trying to achieve, the goal orientation of a lesson, both from the vocabulary, the life skills, but also the technical part of the language. Um, another, you know, another example would be like, yes, students at the end of this lesson can ask yes, no questions and give short answers about people. Just incorporating some like simple can do statements and outcomes at the end of your lessons, I think is really important. And yeah, it's it's just noting that some of these intervention and curriculum strategies are are different than than what you would traditionally use with American born or or, or natively born uh, English learners. So when I think about newcomers, I often think about while wow, they are possibly older, close to being adults, they have lots of responsibilities. Uh, for the family because they're the ones going to school and the parents are like hey you're going to school learn so make sure you whatever you're learning we could use to support the family so when we give kids like oh hey we're going to read Hamlet the kids are gonna be like what what is this how is this connected to my life and they're not going to be as engaged and so you're saying let's create lessons that meet the curriculum uh, but as much as possible connected to how they're going to use this in the future because they're going to say how am i going to use this and if it's not relevant to them they're going to be so disengaged absolutely yeah that's that's uh that is a beautifully succinct way of capturing my my rambled thoughts so i might use that in the future if i ever give this presentation again <laughs> Thanks, Tan. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's there's so much responsibility being placed on these students. I think those personas that I kind of went over, the family advocate, the breadwinner, the caregiver, I think that's a great lens to look at. You're really talking about responsibility. And when they are in a in a classroom, in a school classroom, they are thinking about their responsibilities to their family and their and their siblings often younger siblings and um if you're not at least addressing those responsibilities it's going to be hard to drive engagement and one thing we can do is if they have a social worker or if the parents somewhat speak english or you communicate with them or someone in the school can speak their language the parents language they you can ask like hey what is a unit or what is a topic that you would like us to uh, teach your your children and then we'll teach them the language of that topic and so now you have those the bank of topics for students to learn and use language and learn language that's going to be uh, helping their family absolutely yeah involving the parents involving the home language if those skills are present at the school um, is is absolutely important so let's end with talking about off to class what is something that you have seen uh, about off to class that teachers can use with newcomers. 
Oh, that's a great question. So if teachers, first of all, we we have a, a paid product. We also have tons of free stuff. So if you go to offtoclass.com, you can download, I think, 50 different lessons right off the website. So you can grab those and, and turn them into your own curriculum or use them as inspiration for your own curriculum. And in the if you actually set up a free account, you can set up... Um, I think you can teach 150 different lessons and send our placement tests. So there's a lot of free tools there to go check out. Um, what's really nice, I think, that most teachers working with newcomers would find is there's a great set of themes um, in some of our lessons. So some of those personas and responsibilities we were talking about visit to the doctor, visit to the office, uh, visit to the pharmacy, how to get how to get around a, um, a grocery store. Um, on our curriculum, it's a little bit more integrated rather than those kind of single skills. So we have units around like jobs and routines, what you want to be when you grow up, like a lot of those lifelong skills that um, that are super important for the responsibilities of, of middle and high school newcomers. Um, surprisingly, we have a section called Business English and traditionally tutors, uh, we developed that, that set of the library a long time ago. Um, and most of the online tutors that were using that were teaching young professionals that were, you know, trying to get jobs or, or trying to get advancement in their careers. But actually a lot of the district teams we work with and a lot of the teachers in, um, in kind of a, a K-12 environment have really found a lot of use out of some of those lessons around kind of like creating a resume, preparing for an interview, writing a thank you letter, how to, how to create a cover letter, all those great skills. They found really, really good, useful kind of curriculum there uh, for their for their older aged high school newcomers. So yeah, just go check it off the class and see if you can find lessons um, for your own for your own teaching strategies. Well, Chris, I let's end with this metaphor, this activity called traffic light teaching. And it's something that you recommend teachers to start doing, stop doing, and keep on doing. So it's red light is stop doing. Uh, start doing is yellow light. And the green light is keep on doing. Okay. So stop doing is using young learner focused content for your high school newcomers. Keep doing is listening, listening to parents and considering the various personas that newcomers play, the different responsibilities they have, and start doing, I would say, building kind of business and entrepreneurial skills into your, into your curriculum strategies for high school newcomers. Because they want it to be relevant to their lives. So, Absolutely. Well, thank you again for sharing your platform with us, but also your experience and helping us see newcomers in a different persona. That was new for me. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing this, these insights. Thank you, Chris. It was great to be here, Tan. Thanks so much. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable 
so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things at work and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. This was a really fascinating conversation with Chris because it made me reflect on how academically oriented I am when working with students, and rightly so. But Chris shared that older newcomers have multiple roles in their families. Yes, they do need academic language to be successful in college and they do wanna to go to college. But for our older newcomers, many of them also have additional roles in their families because they're the only ones going to school. This means that the lessons have to be directly in service of the situation and their needs. For example, they'll need language around banking, job searching, seeking medical services, transportation, paying for bills. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't learn the mandated curriculum. It just means that we have to make room for work-related English. Maybe this could be an after-school offering to newcomers. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.